Good morning. Welcome to worship here at First Church in New Knoxville. We have a couple announcements this morning before we get our service started. At the beginning of our service this morning, we're going to welcome new members into our church family. Those members include Isaac and Abby Counts, Jim Halter, Scott and Angie Dalhuttis, John and Hannah Holtzapple, Lindsay Metzger, Kyle Milhouse, Audrey Reinecke, Troy Cies, Jordan and Dana Sutledge, and Brian Tostrick. Um, after the meet and greet time, um, I invite you guys to come down forward to the front. We're going to gather here uh, uh, around the communion table, which I, I feel like is an appropriate way to welcome new members into the church. And we're going to begin our service by, by welcoming you and praying or, over you this morning. After the service this morning, everyone is invited over to the ministry center. Uh, we're just going to have some light refreshments over there, some donuts and coffee as a way to welcome our new members into the church. So everybody's invited to just stop by. You can stay as long or as short as you want to. It's very informal, uh, but you're welcome to swing over, grab a donut, grab a cup of coffee, and greet our new members uh, as after the service this morning. On Monday, August 14th at 6 p.m., there will be a new uh, Sunday school teachers meeting in the ministry center. Again, that's mon Monday, August 14th at 6 p.m. for Sunday school teachers. There will also be a confirmation student and parent meeting on Sunday, August 20th at 10:15 in the ministry center. If your student is in seventh or eighth grade this year, you'll be receiving information letter. Hopefully, you got it already this past week. If not, it'll be showing up in your mailbox at the beginning of this week. There will be a memorial service for Charlene Ganger here at First Church on Saturday, August 19th at 1 p.m., and all are invited to attend that service. There's a couple other things over, happening over the next couple weeks I want to bring your attention to. Next Sunday night is Family Trivia Night. That's something new we're doing, just a way to get together as a church family, kind of end our summer together uh, by having a fun time of fellowship, and that is for all ages, adults all the way down to kids. There'll be uh, kind of bi fun Bible trivia games, as well as some games for younger kids to do as well. So we invite you to come and join us Sunday, August 13th at 6 p.m. in the Ministry Center. And the following Sunday, August 20th, is our next Praise and Prayer Night. Uh, that'll be 5 p.m. here in the Sanctuary. Uh, the, in addition to singing songs and praising the Lord and worshiping together, we're also going to have an opportunity that night to pray for our schools, um, the students, the teachers, administration, and our communities. So we invite you to join us for that night as we lift up our schools, our students, and our teachers together. At this time, I want to invite you to take a few minutes to greet your neighbor. And again, I invite those that are joining the church to come forward to the front at this time.
I welcome once again to our worship service here at First Church in New Knoxville. Uh, we're really glad that everyone is able to join us here for worship this morning, and we especially want to welcome those that are listening on the radio and watching on Facebook Live. As I just said in our announcements, we have some new members that we get to welcome into our church family this morning, and we're really grateful that we have the opportunity to do that. I read off names a few moments ago, but now you have some faces to put with them, and I just want to go down the line here and just once again introduce everybody. This is Troy and Brian and Jim. We have Angie and Scott, Lindsay. We have Jordan and Dana. We have, who's next? There's John and Hannah, and we have Isaac and Abby Kane, and we're really grateful for you guys all uh, that are here this morning. We have a couple that are missing. As I was communicating with the group, I said it was very going to be very difficult to get 14 people all together here on a Sunday, especially in the summer and with fair going on. And so we have a couple that are missing, and uh, we'll have to catch up with them uh, when they're able to be here again. But we're really grateful for each and every one of you and your commitment to join the church. As we talked about when we did our new member meeting, uh, this commitment that you're making today is really a two-way commitment. You as individuals and as families are committing to join First Church as members, um, that you're committing to call this place your church home. In, a, in, in doing so, it's a statement of your faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and a decision to join this church family of which he is the head. And it's a commitment that you're making to participate in the life and the mission of the church and the questions that we're going to go over here in a few minutes highlight those things for you and for us all. But also, we also remember that this is a commitment that you're making, but it's also a commitment that we as a church are making to you. First Church is, is making a commitment to care for you through all seasons of life, um, to disciple you and your families, to walk with you as you seek to know, love, and serve Jesus in your life, in your families, at work, and in your communities. And as your pastor, I'm glad that each of you has made the decision and have enjoyed to get to, getting to know you and look forward to how God will work in and through you and your families as you continue to seek him and make him Savior and Lord of your lives. And so I hope each of you had, uh, has some questions here in front of you. Um, I encourage you to answer these as a statement of your faith and your commitment to join the church. It says... First question, do you confess Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and pledge your allegiance to his kingdom? Do you receive and profess the Christian faith as contained in the scriptures of the Old and New Testaments? And do you promise, according to the grace given to you, to live a Christian life and always remain a faithful member of Christ's holy church? Awesome. In church family, we have an opportunity to join them in this last question. Many of you here today, I've also made this commitment, have stood before God and before your church family to commit to the life and, uh, and fellowship of this church family. And part of that is committing to follow the mission statement as it's stated in your bulletin. And so I want to encourage you, if you have your bulletin with you, to open that up. And for those of you that are joining the church, as well as those who are current members of the church, I invite you to read the faith statement, or excuse me, the mission statement together as a, either a commitment or a recommitment, a reaffirmation of your commitment to this church family and this church body and the mission that God has called us on. And so I invite you to join me as, I read this together, as we read this together. First Church is a community of faith who engage biblical truth to provide an environment where people mature as disciples of Christ. And to accomplish our mission, First Church will encounter our Creator Embrace Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior to become his disciples 
empower lives through God's living word, the Bible, engage with the Holy Spirit to provide guidance and direction, to encourage others to know Christ and strengthen their relationship with God, and enrich the body of Christ by going forth and supporting fellow disciples. And so, for those of you who are joining the church today, I ask you the following question. Now that you're becoming members of the church, do you promise to participate in the life and worship of the church and to live out this mission statement with the help of God and to the best of your ability? Praise God. And it's also our privilege to pray for them as they seek to fulfill this commitment today. So I want to invite our elders that are here this morning to come forward. I don't think we have enough hands to lay hands on everybody. There's a, such a big group here, but uh, they're going to come and just kind of surround us, surround you as we pray for you and ask for God's blessing on you, your families, and your commitment that you're making today. So let's pray together. Father God, I thank you for this group of individuals and families that are joining the church today. Lord, you are the head of this church. You have brought us here in this place uh, as one body, as one family, as your people to worship you, to serve you, and to love you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And so I thank you for each person that's up here today, and thank you for the commitment that they're making to join this local expression of your body and of your kingdom. And I pray that as they make this commitment, that you would fill them with all grace, that you would guide them with your Holy Spirit, so that they may know you, love you, and serve you in their own lives, and that they may use the gifts and talents that you've given them to give back and to serve you in this church and in this community. And I pray, Lord, that we as a church family would welcome them in, that we would embrace them as brothers and sisters in Christ, and that we together as your body, as your church, would learn to serve you and glorify you in all that we do, that we may make it in this community and around this world. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, again, welcome to the church. We're so glad you guys have made this decision. And again, we hope you're able to, to join us for a, just a little bit of refreshments after the service today. And again, everybody's welcome to do that. Thank you guys for joining us. You guys can head back to your seats. As they head back to their seats, I want to invite those that are able to stand with us as we begin our, this part of our service with our call to worship. The call to worship today is taken from Deuteronomy chapter 30, verses 12 through 23. It is not up in heaven so that you have to ask, who will ascend into heaven and get it and proclaim it to us so that we may obey it? Nor is it beyond the sea so that you have to ask, who will cross the sea and get it and proclaim it to us so we may obey it? No, the word is very near to you. It is in your mouth and in your heart so that you may obey it. See, I set before you today life and prosperity, death and destruction. For I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to him, and to keep his commands, decrees, and laws. Then you will live and increase, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land you are entering to possess. But if your heart turns away and you are not obedient, and if you are drawn away to bow down to other gods and worship them, I declare to you this day that you will certainly be destroyed. You will not live long in the land you are crossing the Jordan to enter and possess. And so this day, I call the heavens and earth as a witness against you that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life so that you and your children may live and that you may love the Lord your God, listen to his voice and hold fast to him. For the Lord is your life 
and he will give you many years in the land he swore to give your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now I invite you to remain standing as we worship the Lord together.
want you to pray with me. Father God, your faithfulness is great. Your faithfulness is really beyond measure, Lord, because the more that we think about it, the more that we meditate on your goodness and your provision, we realize that we can never get to the bottom of it. Lord, you have been faithful throughout all generations. You have been faithful to your people even when we least deserved it because your faithfulness does not depend upon us and our good behavior. Your faithfulness does not depend upon our circumstances, but your faithfulness is based on your character as a good and loving, a compassionate and gracious God who is slow to anger and abounding in love and faithfulness. We thank you for your presence in our lives. We thank you for the way that you have worked out your salvation for us through your son, Jesus Christ. And we thank you that you have given us your Holy Spirit, that we may know you and love you and serve you in this world. We thank you that you have made yourself known to us through your word and that you invite us into a personal relationship with you. Lord, I've talked to many people and I was reminded again this week that you are the one who sustains us through any and all circumstances of life. That when we face trials of many kinds, we certainly can rejoice because we know that we face them with you by our side, with your strength to sustain us. And so this morning, Lord, we gather here in this place and we proclaim great is your faithfulness. Great is your goodness. As your word says, as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is your love for us. Lord, we could sing about your faithfulness all morning and it wouldn't be enough. But we do thank you that we have the opportunity as your people to gather here in this place to worship and to praise you. We thank you for the new members that have committed to be a part of this church family, your family, Lord, your people here in this place. And we pray your blessing once again upon them. And as new members join our church, Lord, we're reminded of the commitment that we all have made to be part of your family here in this place. And so as they commit, Lord, to this, may, may we all who are members of this church recommit ourselves to you, to your kingdom, to your word, and the work that you are doing here in this community and around the world. And may you empower us and equip us by your Holy Spirit to do what you call us to do. This morning, Lord, we pray for those that are in need. There are many names and families represented on our prayers and concerns list, and we each carry burdens with us into this place. Lord Jesus, lift those burdens from us as we lay them down at the foot of your cross. May you bring healing to those who are sick. May you bring provision to those who are in need. And may you bring peace and comfort to those who are hurting. Lord, your word also calls for us to pray for those in authority over us. And so we pray for our state government at this time, our governor, our legislature, and the courts. And we pray for wisdom beyond means that they may serve this state and our communities well. 
that they may have a hunger and thirst after righteousness, that they may be filled. And I pray, Lord, that you would equip and empower us as your church to be a light in our community. May we make an impact for your kingdom in all things and in all ways. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus, your Son, who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. You all may be seated. At this time, I want to invite our kids forward for children's chat. How are we doing this morning? All right. All right, we still have a couple more coming. All right. Oh, there we go. Okay, so I brought a couple things with me today. What do we have here? What's in there? What are those? Carrots. Carrots. What do we have here? An egg. Does anybody know what this is? Coffee. You got it. Coffee. Okay. So, today I have carrots, an egg, and coffee. What could they be about? Okay. Well, this is what we have to say today. Okay. So, what happens if I take a carrot and I put it in boiling water? What happens to it? It, it gets cooked, right? Is it hard and crunchy anymore? No, it's soft, right? It's soft and easy to, easier to chew. Okay, so what happens if I put an egg in boiling water? It cooks. And, is it, and if I drop it, is it going to break open anymore? Is the yolk going to just come out? <clears throat> or is it hard-boiled? Yeah, it's hard-boiled. So it, it's still fragile, but it's not going to break and have yolk all over the kitchen floor. Okay? Now, what happens when I add hot water to coffee beans? Yeah. Can you smell it? Is it an amazing smell in the morning? No? You know, to me, it's an amazing smell. And every year when preschool starts, I always have somebody, Mrs. Lammers, are you drinking coffee again? Because they can smell it. They can smell it. Yes. So I want us to think about if that hot water that we added to make our carrot soft, to hard boil our egg, and to make our coffee smell good, okay, I want us to pretend that that boiling water is like problems and troubles in our life, okay? Because we all get into trouble. We all face problems. So, you know, we have to decide how are we going to handle those things? Are we going to be like the carrot, okay? Are we going to be soft and, and grumbly and complain 
and oh, poor me. So are we going to be like a carrot or are we going to be like the hard-boiled egg that's stubborn and jealous and gets angry? Or are we going to be like the coffee? They represent people who obey God by changing the atmosphere around them. Can you, can you see the smell that coffee makes? No. No, we can't, but we can smell it. It affects the air around us. Just like people who follow God affect the people around them. And how we handle a situation if we're weepy and grumpy or if we're stubborn, it shows other people around us how we're going to react when bad things happen. But when God is in our life, we're like this coffee because people can see it and smell it. Not that we smell good or smell bad, but they can feel it around us because we are doing what the Bible asks us to do and we are following what God wants us to do. Okay? And so that's how we spread God around. It's how we react when things go bad, okay? So, whenever we face a problem, we need to decide, are we going to be soft, stubborn like the egg? Are we going to be peaceful and let the love of God come forth like the smell of coffee does when it gets warm, okay? So, just a couple things to help us remember that, yep, Life is going to get hard. We're going to have problems. But if we remember Jesus loves us and we do things the way Jesus wants us to, it's going to work out. All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, when we find ourselves in hot water, help us to remember your grace as well as others of our faith. Comfort and give us grateful hearts as we face trials. Whatever challenges we may face in our young lives, may we always find you, look to you, and praise you. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, Amen. guys. Have a good week. Amen. Thanks, guys. You can head back to your seats. Thanks, Maria. I love that illustration, and I just think the kids just aren't quite old enough to appreciate the wonderful smell that coffee has in the morning, right? I think we all can relate to that. This morning, our offering goes to support the general fund uh, here at First Church in New Knoxville. So if you're feeling led to give this morning, your, your offerings in the plate will go to support the general fund here at First Church. And so this time, I want to invite our deacons to come forward to collect your offering. Our music this morning is How Great Thou Art, led by Brittany.
the universe displays then sings my soul my savior god to thee how great thou art how great thou art then sings my
scripture reading this morning is taken from Romans 2, verse 17 through 29. If you want to follow along in your pew Bible, page 1,128. Now you, if you call yourself a Jew, if you rely on the law and boast in God, if you know his will and approve of what is superior because you are instructed by the law, if you are convinced that you are a guide for the blind, a light for those who are in the dark, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of little children, because you have in the law the embodiment of knowledge and truth, you then, who teach others, do you not teach yourself? You, who preach against stealing, do you steal? You, who say that people should not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You, who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You, who boast in the law, do you dishonor God by breaking the law? As it is written, God's name is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. Circumcision has value if you observe the law, but if you break the law, you have become as though you had not been circumcised. So then, if those who are not circumcised keep the law's requirements, will they not be regarded as though they were circumcised? The one who is not circumcised physically and yet obeys the law will condemn you who, even though you have the written code and circumcision, are a lawbreaker. A person is not a Jew who is one only outwardly, nor is circumcision merely outward and physical. No, a person is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is circumcision of the heart, by the spirit, not by the written code. Such a person's praise is not far from other people, but from God. Amen. You may be seated. Let's humbly come before you now as we open your word together and hear what it has to say to us. We ask that your spirit would soften our hearts and minds to what you have to say to us this morning. And may your spirit also give me words to speak, words that are honoring and pleasing to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. I pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. As we continue our journey through the Bible and ear plan, you know, we have moved in the New Testament from the Gospels and the Acts, and now we are beginning in Romans, which is the first of the letters or the epistles in the New Testament. And as I did it a couple weeks ago, I think it's important to pause and just point out that that we are moving into a different genre of writing here as we study the book of Romans together. Romans is a letter that was written by the Apostle Paul to a group of Christians, a group of believers in the city of Rome. And so the letter is addressing particular people with particular, and in particular circumstances. And Paul is trying to address those concerns by pointing them to the gospel, by pointing them to Jesus as our Lord and Savior and the implications that that has for their life together and their life as individual believers in the Lord. And so as we move through the New Testament, we're going to read Romans and 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians and, and Ephesians. And these letters were all written to believing communities scattered throughout the Roman Empire. Now, it's important to remember in those days there weren't multiple denominations, right? There weren't multiple churches in a given town. Uh, There were house churches, just believers gathering together for prayer and worship, the reading of the word, 
and the sharing of the Lord's table. And so he's addressing believers that are in Rome, living out their faith in Christ in their particular context. Now, that doesn't mean it's irrelevant to us today, some 2,000 years later and half a world uh, separated geographically from Rome. There is still much for us to learn, and Romans itself is full of uh, just important teaching for how to live faithfully for Christ in the world today. The message of Romans can really be summed up back in chapter 1, verses 16 and 17, and I want to read that for you because that sets the, the stage or the foundation for what we're going to talk about today. So if you're following along in your Bibles, I'm turning back one chapter to Romans 1, 16 and 17. This is what Paul writes to the Romans. He says, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and then to the Gentile. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. So notice what Paul is saying here. He's, he's presenting to them the gospel of Christ. Right? And in that, it is the gospel that is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone. And then he points out two different groups of people. First the Jew, and then the Gentile. It's important to pause on and reflect on what those two groups of people represent, because that's kind of the focus of our conversation in Romans chapters 1, 2, and 3. And the Jews and the Gentiles are... Uh, the way that a lot of, at that time, thought of the people in the world. The Jews were God's people, right? The ones that had, been received, that had received the law, that had followed the commandments, that had offered sacrifices in the temple in Jerusalem. And Gentile was simply kind of a, a catch-all phrase for everyone else, right? The, the other nations, the other peoples who did not worship the God of Israel, but now, in Christ, that salvation is brought to both Jew and Gentile, right? Both God's people who had received the law and had been worshiping in the temple for thousands of years, and also the pagan, the person who did not know the law, who had not received the commandments from Moses on Mount Sinai. And Rome, in particular, had a struggle with this. You see, the Roman church was primarily a Jewish church at first. There was a lot of Jewish people living in Rome, and as the message of the gospel arrived in Rome, many of them put their faith in Christ. But over the course of time, there was a, uh, one of the Roman empires kicked all of the Jewish people out of Rome. They were exiled out of Rome and had to go and live in other cities and other communities. And so that left just Gentiles remaining, the Gentile believers in the church. And so they had to kind of figure out what it meant to live for Christ with the Jewish part of their church now removed. And then, of course, some years later, that, that exile ended and, and the Jewish people began to move back to Rome. And so now you had a church that was first primarily Jewish, then primarily Gentile, and now you have Jewish and Gentile people trying to live together, trying to figure it out. What does it mean to be God's people together in a community like Rome? And so Paul spends the first couple chapters of Romans highlighting something that's very important for us to understand, and that is all people, both Jew and Gentile, need the gospel. Because all people, both Jew and Gentile, have fallen short of God's demands on our life. 
you see the second half of chapter 1 of Romans is a, is a very familiar passage, very, very well-known passage. And there God highlights, excuse me, Paul highlights that God has made himself known to all peoples, including the Gentiles, through his creation. That God's invisible qualities have been made known and so that people are without excuse. That, they, that people, although they didn't have the law, they had God revealed in nature, yet they rejected him. They chose to worship created things rather than the creator. And so God gave them over to their sinful habits and desires. And so by the end of chapter 1, Paul has made it clear that Gentiles, those who did not have the law, are without excuse because God had made himself known through creation. Now imagine you're one of the Jewish members of the church in Rome, and you're hearing this letter read to you for the first time. As you get to the end of chapter 1, you're probably thinking, that's right. You know, there are all these people out there that don't know the law, that didn't have it. And of course, they're the people that need the gospel. They're the people that need saved. How often do we as believers point to people outside the church, outside of the norm of Christian life, and say they're the ones that need God's salvation? They're the ones that need rescuing. They're the ones that need saved. It's easy to point our finger at people from, that are outside of the established church, outside of the norm of Christianity, and say they're the ones that need rescuing. And in doing so, we build ourselves up as some sort of, in some sort of privileged position that, that we have it all figured out. If they would just be like us, then they could experience God's salvation. And that's when we turn the chapter to Romans 2 and see that Paul had a word for the Jewish believers as well. That just because they had the law, just because they had, been, they had inherited a faith based on God's commandments, they were just in just as need of salvation, of God's grace and forgiveness as their Gentile brothers and sisters in Christ. See, that's what Paul is trying to communicate to them here in this passage. Beginning in verse 17, verses 17 through 22, excuse me, through 24, in Romans 2, he says, just because you have the law doesn't make you any better than the rest of them. In other words, Paul is trying to teach them that moralism doesn't save them. Just because they do the right things and they obey the law does not mean that they are saved. The Jewish people, to an extent, there's nothing wrong with that, right? But they were bragging about it. They were boastful about the, their heritage and what they had received from God. And now it's important to pause here for just a moment and, and note that when Paul is referring to Jewish people in this passage, he's primarily referring to them as religious, in a, in a religious sense, right? So for, in, our, in our time here this morning, it might be helpful for us to think not not just as a, a Jewish person, but a religious person, right? Someone who tries to uphold the law, to do all the right things. They are in just as much need of God's salvation as everyone else. You see, sometimes we buy into this, that if we are, because we were raised in the church, because we've, not, we've been in Sunday school our entire lives, because we've been there and done all of that, that somehow we are in a privileged position, that God loves us more than other people. You see, that's a trap 
That's pride speaking, isn't it? That's not salvation by faith and grace. That's salvation by works. And we think that if we are just good enough people, that if we follow the law well enough, that God has to accept us. That's moralism. That's basing our salvation on our good works and on the things we do rather than on the grace of God. See, the problem with that mindset is even as hard as we try, even if we think we have done all the right things for all the right reasons, we can never perfectly obey the law ourselves. Notice what he says here at the end of the section. He says, you who preach against stealing, do you steal? You who say that people should not commit adultery, do you also commit adultery? Right? If we really try to live up to that standard and grade ourselves and other people by that standard, we're always, always going to fall short because none of us can live up to the standard of the law. And we struggle because when we try to build our faith on some sort of moralism and then we fall short, we're doing a discredit to God and a discredit to the witness that the church should have in the world. He says here at the end of this section, as it is written, God's name is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. Studies in recent years have shown that one of the top reasons why people, young people leave the church, why, why young people choose not to follow Christ is the hypocrisy of Christians. People that claim to have it all figured out, people that claim to be morally superior than everybody else, and yet their deeds and their actions don't match what they believe. See, moralism, trying to earn our salvation based on being obedient to the law is always going to fall short. And in, in, in the end, it's going to do harm to our witness as Christians. So first we see that moralism cannot save. And the second thing here in the next section is that our religiosity cannot save us. Paul here then brings in the idea of circumcision into the conversation. Circumcision was the outward and visible sign that people belonged to God's community. Right? It was the mark of belonging to his kingdom. Nowadays, we have other things that sometimes mark us, don't we? Right? Other things that other outward and visible signs that we belong to his people. Some people say that what's most important is attending church as regularly as we can that what really matters is that we're on the cradle roll or that we've graduated from confirmation or that we are a good person, that we are good enough for God to love us. We wear those things like badges on our arm, points of pride, and that we think if we just do all the right things externally, if we hold up the right outward appearance and, and check off all of the right boxes, then of course God will love us. But note what Paul says here. He says that circumcision, those outward appearances, have no value if we don't fully observe the law. In other words, if we don't keep it perfectly. But if we break the law, he says, you become as those who have not been circumcised. 
So what is Paul trying to communicate here? He's trying to communicate that our religious rituals aren't what save us either. That we can check off all the boxes, we can go through the motions, we can, we can do all of the right things, we can attend church every Sunday of our lives, we can sit in the same pew every week. But in the end, it's not those things that save us. In fact, he says it's better to be uncircumcised and obedient than to be, than to be circumcised and disobedient. Because at the end of the day, it's not our outward appearance. It's not external conformity to a set of rules that are going to save us. Because if that's what we base our salvation on, we're always going to fall short. There's only one person who is perfect, and it's not me, and it's not you. Jesus is the only one who can say that he has perfectly obeyed the law at all times. So where does that leave us? It means that both Gentiles who were outside of the law and Jewish people or religious people that had been raised in the law, had been raised to know God through that, are both in the same boat. Our religiosity, our moralism, those things aren't going to save us. What does save us is an internal transformation. Circumcision of the heart that is not done by human hands, but that is done by the Spirit. See, this is good news for all of us because no matter who you are, no matter whether you were raised in the church or not, no matter if you know Scripture, if you have the, the Ten Commandments memorized, you've attended Sunday school your whole life, you go to Awana, you attend youth group, you lead a Bible study, right? Those are all good things that can help you but at the end of the day, they're not going to save you. There's only one thing that's going to save you, and that is faith in Christ. The gospel is the power of God for salvation through faith. That's why Paul says a person is not a Jew who, again, a religious person who is not one outwardly, nor a circumcision merely outward and physical. No, a person is a Jew who is one inwardly in circumcision is circumcision of the heart by the Spirit, not by the written code. Such a person's praise is not from other people, but from God. Two things to note here. One, again, it's an internal transformation that takes place. You want to experience salvation? You want to experience God's grace? It means coming to Him and acknowledging that you cannot save yourself. And that you must accept and receive his salvation. You must ask him to transform you from the inside out. Do the things, are the things that we do, do they matter? Of course they do. But they flow from an internal transformation. They flow from a changed heart. And that is something we need God to do in us and through us. And secondly, it's a person, uh, it's, it's about the motivation from God. See, at the end of the day, we must ask ourselves, who are we really trying to please? Who is our number one priority in our lives? Are we trying to live up to our own self-imposed standard? Are we trying to please other people? Maybe it's the person sitting in the pew next to you. Are you trying to please your pastor? 
Or are you trying to please God? Are you seeking to honor Him in all that you do? That's where our motivation must lie. See, that transformation, the circumcision of the heart that is done by the Spirit, is not something that we can accomplish on our own. It's not something we can achieve through a matter of our own will or own desire. It comes when we humbly approach God and ask for Him to save us, ask for Him to transform us from the inside out. You see, in Christ, all of the work that is necessary has already been done and accomplished. And that's what we celebrate when we come to the communion table. We celebrate the fact and we proclaim the good news that it is finished, that Christ has already achieved for us everything that the law requires. And so the righteousness that he earned through obedience to the law, perfect obedience, can be applied to you simply by acknowledging your trust in him as Savior and Lord. You see, Jesus died on that cross to fulfill the requirements of the law. In his life, he was perfectly obedient in ways that we never could be. And in his death, he fulfilled the punishment that you and I deserve. And so when we celebrate communion, we are proclaiming that that we cannot save ourselves, but that only through Christ we can experience salvation. And the way that we do that is by humbly approaching the table, acknowledging our need for him. See, we go back to where we started today, that there there are two groups of people, Jew and Gentile, right? And they had approached God from two different angles. But the reality is that they're both in the same boat. They are both sinners in need of a savior. And Jesus is the savior that they need and that we need. And that's what we celebrate and we will remember when we celebrate communion together. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the opportunity we have to reflect on the power of the gospel. Lord, help us to see that that the problem of sin is not just out there. It's not just those people that live differently than we do or, or do things differently than we do. But it's a problem that all of us must confront and deal with in our own lives. We are sinners in need of a Savior. Help us to understand that. And so as we come to your table, Lord, we confess that we need you, that we are sinners in need of a Savior, that we have done things and said things and thought things that are not pleasing to you, and that we have left things undone we know we should have done. And so we humbly ask for your forgiveness, Lord, And we thank you that if we, conf- we know that the promise of your word says that if we, if we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Paul said, I receive from the Lord what I also pass on to you. The Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed took bread and having given thanks, he broke it. He said, this is my body just for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Whenever you drink it, do so in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So all you who receive Jesus as your Savior and Lord, 
I invite you to take the sacrament to your comfort. As always, if you are unable to come forward for any reason, there'll be a pair of elders delivering communion around the sanctuary. Those of you who are able to come forward, I invite you to come down both the side aisles, receive the elements, and then take them back to your pew. And when everybody's been served, we'll have an opportunity to take them together. I invite you to come forward at this time. Strength and
is the body of our Lord Jesus Christ, broken for you. Feed on him in your heart by faith with thanksgiving. And this is his blood, which is shed for you, that our sins would be forgiven. Take and drink, knowing that he died for you. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that you invite us to this table, not because we've earned it through our moralism or our religious behavior, but because of our recognition that we are sinners in need of a Savior and that Jesus, your Son, is the Savior that we need. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for living the perfect life we never could live on our own. And thank you for dying on the cross, a substitute taking on our sin and our shame and our guilt upon yourself. And we thank you for your Holy Spirit who lives in us, who, who guides us and directs us, and I pray that you would empower us to live for you from this point forward. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand as we close our service. Let's sing this song together as a congregation. be our refrain as we go from this place, that Jesus certainly has paid it all for our sake so that we may be saved. just want to invite you again, once, once again, over to the ministry center. If you're able to stick around, even for just a few minutes, to grab a donut and a cup of coffee and, again, greet our new members. Uh, we really hope that you're able to do that. Um, but at this time, I just want to offer this benediction to us as we close our service today. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Amen. You may go in peace.